My spine is a harp. Pluck, pluck, pluck. My arm is a wire. My tongue is a liar. My heart is desire. My spine is a harp. My spine is a harp. It's Friday afternoon. Thank merciful Jesus. And Lydia and I have dumplings after school before going to her house to hang out. I lie on her bed, and Lydia sits next to me. She smells like sunscreen and is looking at her phone and also drawing something on her arm with a sharpie which is this thing she does sometimes, don't ask me why. She finishes and holds out her arm. Blow, she says, and puts her arm next to my face. And I blow on it. She blows too, and I feel her dumpling breath all over my cheek. Then she drops her phone back in her chrome bag. She holds her legs out straight and looks at her new pair of Vans, which I think are kind of meh but I know she thinks are dope. Do you like them? She asks. "Uh Uh-huh. What's up? I ask, though I already know. Some boy thing. I know without even asking because of how she's holding her face. Most of the time she's all blah, 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 magical unicorns and so forth, which is fine. It's part of why we're friends. But every now and again, bang, a boy shoots a bullet right through her heart, and then it's like, boop, 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 Marva, can you come over? Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, Rollo may as well be a belt or a shoe. So it's like, if she wants to talk about him, I can catch a little catnap while she does. Nothing, she answers. And I know she's lying, because she sighs hard, and the corner of her mouth goes up. And because I read her easily, and Lydia keeps a lot of secrets. She says Lucinda is the locked gun cabinet in her family, but she's one too. Anyway, I know she wants to talk about it, but doesn't want to, all at once. That's some bullshit, I say. It's not, she says back, half smiling. I look at her, her nose and profile, like a gently sloped little mountain down the middle of her long face. She got her dad's face and body, which lucky for her. Not lucky that he dumped them, just lucky for Lydia she didn't get Lucinda's short little Bilbo Baggins body and toddler arms. Sorry, but it's true. Let's not say things that aren't true, is what I say. I wonder what Lydia would say about my nose. Does she notice my nose? Does she think of it as something other than just a regular old nose? Stop staring at me she says. I can't help where my eyes go. If I could, I wouldn't put them on her. I know that much. He's so gross, she says, even though I haven't said anything. She's back on Rollo. I'm starting to get sorry I brought it up, because I know there's a story there, and that kid does zero for me on every level. And I was just throwing her the ball so she'd start talking about herself, so I could check my eyelids for light holes for a few minutes before getting on the 41 bus back home. But seriously, if I ever were to hook up with a boy, it would not be one like Rollo. I mean, for me, Steph Curry or get the fuck out. I asked Lydia when I met her who she liked, just so I could see what I was dealing with. And she pulled up this picture on her phone of some skinny, vampire-looking boy with red, red lips and basically, like, no chest. Some movie star. Like, what? 
Not like just zero muscles, but like if you tied a string from his toes to the top of his head, you could shoot an arrow. Skinny, pale AF, with some name that had silent G's and H's in it. To me, starving ain't sexy. I decide to go on ahead and walk through this hoop of fire blazing in front of me anyway. Why is he gross, I say, without like even a little question in there? She raises her hand straight up in the air, letting this little charm bracelet she wears tinkle around and shine in the sunlight coming through the window. He wants to do anal, she says, and puts some hair behind her ear. Now, I'm fully aware that I put myself in this situation, but I was not expecting to hear the A word come out of Lydia's mouth, not gonna lie. But I keep my face, like, firm. He doesn't want to get pregnant. Well, he wouldn't get pregnant, I say, and she pokes me hard. I'm just saying. I roll on my back and stare at the ceiling. There's a mobile hanging from it. Like, Lydia's still seven years old or some shit, but whatever. It's this big rainbow-colored hot air balloon. But if you look close, the balloon is heart-shaped, and it's popping out of the chest of this clown, which hangs down like the basket. Seriously, this clown is lying on its back, its arms and legs stretching down, eyes closed, spinning in midair, its rainbow heart popping out of its chest. Its eyes are two X's, and it has a big dumb smile on its dead face. It's creepy AF. I roll onto my stomach, turn my head over to the side, and look at her again. She stands up and walks toward her window. She holds up her little tinkly bracelet again, watching the late afternoon light slice through it. She leans her face against the glass, her whole face. Do y'all two like, do y'all do it? I stammer, my mouth up at the corners now because ew, obviously, but for some reason I need to hear her say it out loud. Like twice, she says, with that upward inflection thing I cannot stand. It's like, I asked you, don't turn around and ask me. I bet it wasn't shit. I say. She gives me like blank face, like she doesn't want to look like what I said made her mad. It's a thing she does, like she's afraid to be mad, and she apologizes for all kinds of things that aren't anybody's fault. Like once the sun was shining too bright, and I was squinting, and she was like, I'm sorry it's so bright out. Like, you're not as powerful as all that. The sun shines, sun happens. Why not just be real? Actually, she says, it was total and complete shit. And we crack up, which is why I'm here. Then why'd you do it twice, I say, between giggles, because, I mean, if the milk smells bad on the first taste, like, I thought it would get better. You'd better not come to me and tell me you're pregnant. I totally would. You're my best friend. That shuts me up, because it just does. It has that sound in it, the sound words make when they're staked into the ground in one swing. And as I am shutting up, I am staring at her, 
and she is doing the looks but not words thing again, only this time her eyes are a little smiley, which I hate because I know myself. I can't resist that shit where somebody drops their hanky so somebody else has to bow before them. She doesn't mean to do it, but it's like, that's what she knows. Because Lucinda. I forgive myself because at least I'm honest. What would you do if I did? Now she's really pushing it. I shrug and scratch my scalp. Then she answers herself, nothing. I'd probably kill you. Both of you, I say. You'd help me raise it. You'd be its second mommy. Now she's just trying to piss me off. You think I'd help you raise that Ticonderoga number two's fucking kid? You're high. I stand and pick up my bag, pull my earbuds out of my front pocket. She lays down on the bed and rolls over onto her side, watching me. She leans down over the side, pulls her phone out of her bag. Sorry, her chrome bag. It's all about that chrome bag with her. She aims it at me. I turn around and dab, just to fuck with her. She takes the picture anyway. I know my shit'll be on Instagram before the period in this sentence. I have to make the tacos tonight, I say, and I'm about to walk out when I feel her little kitten paw on my wrist. Can I tell you a secret? She says. I look in her eyes, and I know. The whole Rollo thing, the dumpling thing, it was all just preamble. This is what I'm here for, to keep her secret and she paid me in dumplings. Okay. What? I mean, seriously. I met somebody on Instagram. Did you tell Rollo? It's not like that. That's not what I mean. And I didn't mean it to sound mean. I really didn't. Never mind. Whatever, she says, and pulls her phone back out, starts scrolling, then she starts tapping, tap, 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 tap. And I may as well be like a vapor. So I figure vapor is as vapor does. So will you be around tomorrow? I ask. Nope, Lucinda has some plan or something. I'll see you at school Monday. And then she was like the Mona Lisa in stone. Tap, 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 tap. Should I call you or like stop by or whatever I say hating the sound of my stupid voice no that's okay she answers and totally doesn't even look up tap 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 so whatever I ghosted I wish I had my phone but I couldn't take pictures you need light to take pictures if I've come apart and am floating in bite-sized pieces around the universe, I guess you could say I've gone viral. Here. Finally. But I don't know where here is. I also don't know if I have hands anymore. Or eyes. I seem to have a voice here. I hear my voice. Here. I hear your voice here, too. I hear your voice. Your breath. Your breath. Your voice and your breath, and you sound pissed as hell. Mom? Mom! 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 
She's my mom. Mom, 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 mom. She is a mom. Her feet are blocks of ice. Her blood pounds inside her head. She tries to speak, but her tongue is fuzzy and thick in her mouth. A tennis ball. She looks out over a valley. The valley. She's in the valley again. She hears dripping, drip, drip. An obscenely bright, painted sun shines overhead. Whirls of thick blue oil paint. Cornflower, lapis, baby blue circle around the sun, making the sky as she watches. She looks down at her hands. She is flesh, not painted, not a painting. Her feet rest on nothing. She just floats. She floats over the lush, swirling painted earth far below, above the alternating stripes of sparkling emerald and exuberant fluorescent green, then over a roiling magenta ocean. If she could breathe, it would be exquisite. Drip, drip, drip. Still the dripping in her ears, her ears. She can hear. Lucy? Her name. No, not her name. No one calls her Lucy except drip, drip, drip. The sun begins to spin. She can feel her brown hair, now white-striped, growing rapidly out of her head, whipping up into snarling vines around the sun, tendrils surrounding it, and as they touch the sun's surface, they too become thick streaks of blaring, pulsing color. Hard blacks and muddy tans and blinding whites. Lucy? Lucy, are you okay? Lucy! The voice is familiar. Why is this, this woman, it's a woman, calling her Lucy? She doesn't go by Lucy, hasn't since she wore pink jellies. Why is she, why is the back of her head hot but her face cold? Why is she staring into a painted sun? A bird squawks over her head. Stupid bird, it will probably shit on her head. Is it still February? Why, is she dead, Mommy? says a little kid's voice, squeaky, nasal, also a voice she knows. Is Lucindy dead? Lucinda opens her eyes and squints. Luca stares down at her with Lizzie over his shoulder, looking concerned. Where's Matt? A siren sounds in the distance. Are you okay? Can you hear me? She's awake! We were just right over there, and we heard this horrible thud. Oh my God, don't try to sit up. You might have a head injury. Lizzie says to her, all focused intensity and what seems like genuine concern. Lucinda feels a spotlight turned on her. She draws deeper inside herself, goes back to the cliff overlooking the valley. At least, she assumes there's a cliff. After all, if there's a valley, there must be a cliff or two. She's been here before. The night before Lydia was born. She'd spent all night slogging through brightly colored, ankle-deep sludge. She had walked for hours, days across an entire wilderness, forcing her exhausted, aching legs forward through technicolor muck. She couldn't breathe and woke up intermittently, feeling like the bed was sucking her down inside it. But she was too exhausted to move to the couch, as she'd done whenever she felt her fetus and breasts threatening to smother her in her sleep. Mitch had lain beside her, a snoring boulder. She woke up to her water breaking. Why does Lizzie call her Lucy? Has Matt talked about her? Is there meaning behind that? Is she screwing with her mind? Does she know? Is she trying to make her feel girlish and inconsequential, look and feel small? She knows. 
And she's playing the long game, Lucinda thinks. Her brain feels like it's sloshing around in her skull. What are you doing? Get over here and help Lucy up! Can you hear me? The question sounds far away. There's a weird taste in her mouth. Yes, yes. I can hear, I'm hearing. Lucinda says, awkwardly, squinting, the grayish-white blankness of the winter sky searing her corneas. She clamps her eyes shut again and tries to sit up. Her head spins. She's going to be sick. Not you, hun. Lizzie pats Lucinda's arm. Matt! yells Lizzie. Lucinda's eyes open slightly, reflexively at the sound of his name. She makes out his muscular back a little bit away. He's unhooking the ergo carrier, putting the baby into a stroller. Lizzie vigorously waves him over and points as though directing a 747 to land on a nickel. Lucinda can't believe this. It's fine to see them, but for them to see her like this? Actually, she cannot help but see them. Everybody always sees everybody in this neighborhood because all the sidewalks for a mile square are worn by the same footsteps, stroller tracks, scooter ruts. Everyone sees everyone all the time, but for them to see her like this together is an assault, especially given what she now understands. Judging by a creeping wetness in her nether regions, that she is a complete calamity lying on the drive in the park. She prays to God she hasn't made a puddle. She's used to wetting her pants, but not in front of onlookers. Generally, she rolls over on her side. Put her down and come help her up, Matt, Lizzie says calmly, directly. She watches Matt hup to at Lizzie's command, like she imagines he did in the Marines. He'd been a Marine. She's seen the pictures on Facebook. He's not one of her friends, but she's looked him up, and there's a picture of him in his dress blues. Lizzie is focused. She exudes control. Matt likes a woman who takes control. Lucinda witnesses for an instant one of the private ties that bind them. Matt and Lizzie. It's so natural between them she has to clamp her eyes shut again out of embarrassment. A gust of cold air blows across her face. She thinks for a moment about a date she had in Evanston 20-something years ago. It was with a guy who'd worked for an office telephone company. They'd seen a movie, then gone for a bite after. She kept wondering what she was doing there, why she was eating this hummus, why he kept asking her questions about herself and making jokes that she knew intellectually she should find funny. He was a funny guy, small-boned but with a large head and large friendly features and a burnished quality to his olive skin, like he buffed himself with one of those rotating round floor waxers before heading up on the purple line to see out of sight with a girl whose office phones he'd installed. She'd been drinking a lot in the aftermath of the Terry fiasco and couldn't seem to fully grasp what she was trying to accomplish with this perfectly nice guy. She'd sensed, though, throughout the awkward but harmless encounter that he wanted her to do something, and she naturally had thought the job of doing was entirely up to him. She suddenly tries to stand. Whoa, just relax. A familiar voice grazes her ear. It comforts and sickens her both at once. She feels the warmth and breadth of his palm in her armpit. She barks. Take it easy, Lucinda. 
he says softly. She barks again. It's too much. Nothing is wrong. Why are they attending to her? What has he told his wife? She just got a little overheated. Sometimes she pees herself when she runs. So what? She attempts to stand once more. You might have hit your head. It's Lizzie again, and now she has put her hand in Lucinda's other armpit. Their hands are in her armpits. Her sweaty, filthy armpits. Lizzie's touch is firm and authoritative, but motherly concerned. She wonders for a moment where her own daughter, Lydia, is. It's a Saturday. That's right. She's off somewhere with that girl. Oh, that's, that's right. That's exactly where she is with that Marva. They'd had a fight, and she'd stormed out, and now she won't see her until she sees her. It's probably for the best. Mitch would handle this better, she knows. If Mitch were here, he'd quietly talk to Lydia, nod and listen and have pithy, unemotional, wise things to say. Then he'd go see a movie, or whatever it was he did that he never bothered to share with Lucinda, while Lucinda drank wine and watched Hoarders. He'd come home late and climb in the bed and put his arm over her. And she could finally sleep. Take it easy. Just take it easy until the ambulance comes. Do you feel lightheaded? Do you want a snack? We've got goldfish and packets in the stroller. Matt, get a packet. Lizzie directs. Holy fuck, she is not going to sit on the ground sucking pureed pears from a fucking foil packet in front of these people. Why is this happening? Why is she barking and fainting? Fainting like... Like... What... What was it, a Rembrandt? A painting of the five senses, a painting where a woman is just unconscious in front of these fascinated people who, in all likelihood, were the ones who put her under in the first place? Why are fluids randomly falling out of her body? She leans over onto her side, pushes her palm against the asphalt. She feels sticky between her legs. Oh, God. Drip. She stealth taps her self, pretends to adjust her pants, touches her nose. It smells like blood. It's blood. It smells like blood. She's bleeding. Fuck. Drip. I'm fine. She rolls over onto her knees, careful to point her personal carnage away from Lizzie and Matt. Hot and cold ricochet around her body like a pinball. Her head is swimming. But she has to get the fuck out of there before, what, a goddamn ambulance gets there? Ugh. She's fine. She shouldn't have gone running. She wasn't supposed to. She knew it. It's her fault. Mommy, look, there's the king swan! Luca, whom she's forgotten exists, shrieks and takes off running. Luca! No, those swans have been known to kill people! Matt calls after him, squatting, digging around in the undercarriage of the stroller for baby snacks to feed her. I'll get him. Don't you move. Stay here. Matt, help Lucy. Lizzie calmly orders them both and takes off after Luca. Lucinda knows it's probably just a goose. They winter in the park, honking and shitting all over the place. Matt returns with a packet and leans over. Ambivalent, she can tell, by the way he keeps looking over at Lizzie, whom they can hear telling Luca to be careful, that the reeds aren't a carpet, that he can't just walk out in the water, especially when he doesn't know how to swim. Matt is next to her now. She can feel his body in space, always has the sense of him, can hear his breath, feel his eyes on her. 
She can't look at him. He reaches toward her with a packet of blueberry mango puree. She explodes in a barking fit. He stares at her. He is beyond still. It is as though someone has pressed his pause button. Suddenly there's a piercing wail. Matt's head swivels around. It's B, the baby, signaling that something's amiss. I have to... He looks toward their stroller, sitting all alone, pulled onto the rocky grass patch between the drive and the lake, then over toward Lizzie and Luca, whom she can no longer hear. Matt stands and looks down at her. She lifts her head, tilts her head up, and their eyes meet. She barks. His mouth opens. She looks away, not before noting the empty ergo hanging down over his waist and crotch. B wails again. Lucinda steadies herself and tries to stand, slowly tries to make her way to her feet. She leans over at the waist, hands on her knees, and looks at his shoes. He moves as though to touch her. She stifles another bark. He has big feet. She loves big feet. All the large parts of a man make her feel small and safe and childlike, a feeling she has always craved. He wears asics. Blue Asics, the Nimbus line, he told her once, and turned his foot out to show her, and then lost his balance, then recovered by placing a hand on her shoulder and steadying himself while looking sidelong down into her eyes. Does he remember that? He must remember that. Outside the spruce juice, when she went to get her matcha smoothie one of those mornings. It seemed such an intimate thing to tell a stranger. What kind of shoe you wear the nimbus, nimbus. She's finally on her own two feet. She takes a breath. She glances at him, her mouth a pale slit in her face. She is sure, her eyes goggling around in their sockets. His eyes are dark brown and large, almond-shaped, but still innocent in a way, even though she wonders if he's seen some terrible things, having been in the military. Suspects he has, anyway. Maybe it's more... Surprise. Maybe it's faith. She's always surprised that anyone still has faith. She wonders if he's Catholic. Lizzie seems Catholic. She doesn't know why she thinks that. She thinks about sitting next to him on a park bench, their thighs touching, her squelching the urge to rest her head on his chest. The one walk they'd taken together in the park, by accident. Matt turns and heads back to the stroller. He says nothing, doesn't help her. She watches him walk away from her. His high ass, his steel posture. Sees a tiny little foot kick up and out of the stroller, then a little fist. Is that my baby? Lizzie coos from down by the lake. Luca, baby's hungry, come here. Luca has forgotten all about Luzendi lying in the street. You're hungry, aren't you, little girl? You need to eat, don't you? Lucinda seizes her moment. She turns and begins taking large for her, strides up the hill up to the drive. She feels like she's going to faint. She had fainted, or was it a fall? She feels like she's going to faint again. She will not. She looks straight to the top of the tallest tree in her eyeline. 
some kind of pine. She's not sure, maybe a spruce. And hauls ass towards it. Sticky crotch and wild, hormone-induced temperature fluctuations be damned. She is getting the hell out of here. She begins to stumble away. She looks down. Her phone. Her phone is in the middle of the drive. Why is her... Oh, yes. She remembers Lydia. Lydia buzzed. Or maybe it was her crossword puzzle alert. Each is as likely as the other. She walks over to it, weaving, squats down gingerly, and retrieves it. It's still working. Lydia. Lydia had called. She was sure. Her phone buzzed. Mom, mom, mom. She fumbles with it, a surge of adrenaline shocking it from her hand and back down onto the drive face down. She checks. There's no call from Lydia. But that cannot be. She heard her. She heard, and as she is considering, piecing it all together, her hand starts buzzing, and she looks at it, and fuck, it is, of all people, her own mother. Her fucking mother is calling. Nora Lee is calling. It cannot be. Maybe she's hallucinating now. She wishes her mind would hold together. There's been a hole in it since Mitch went somewhere and didn't come back, a bigger hole. Lucy, wait! 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 Are you okay? Lucy, there's an ambulance coming! She hears Lizzie calling behind her. She dares not look back. She knows what she's likely to see. Lizzie, the lean white branches of stately elm trees stretching skyward behind her, holding a squirming baby to her breast. It's a shame what's happened to that family, Lizzie says. Lucinda does not hear her. She is too busy trying to run away. Is there time here? To BH, I didn't used to think about time much. Well, not in a linear way like the white rabbit running around. I'm late, I'm late for a very important date or whatever, like every day in Lucinda land. Well, no, that's not true. I'm impatient for the future. I can be impatient. I was impatient. If I hadn't been so impatient. Anyway, maybe this is the future. We're all dead in the future. Still not sure if dead applies to me here. I wonder if I'll run into my dad. Dad? Mitch? Are you here? Lucinda is determined Dad's coming back. She's told everyone he is in China on business. But he just said he was going to Ikea one day and left his phone and his keys and his wallet on the dresser and he never came back with a clackbow or a Pyongyang or whatever. No Billy bookcases. Anyway, if you're thinking about time, you're thinking about space too because everything we see in our night sky has already happened. Isn't that the most amazing thing? The most fucked up amazing thing? And... I do think about space. I am stardust. We are stardust. Everything is made of stardust, even the evil things, the things we hate and love, too. We feel things, and yet we are actually made of stone. It blows my mind. That's not the way you think about time. Time has failed you. You think of time as a servant. It's supposed to deliver things, not take everything away. I don't think of it that way. Her way, your way, 
not in the way you do. Jesus, Jesus, your mind is very loud about it. It's like, uh, oh, oh, so loud. Time. Lucinda is obsessed with time. There are three heartbeats in me now. I have three heartbeats. Do I have three heartbeats? Why are there three? Be quiet. Be still. And rest. Whoa. Who are you? Who the fuck is that? Who the fuck is that? Uh, uh, Oh, the fuck are you doing to me? It's better if you are quiet. Am I out loud? Is there out loud? I don't have a mouth anymore, but maybe I do. Maybe I have a tongue. Please. God damn it! That's my... That's my... I don't know what that is, but it's mine. Stop it! Am I allowed to say that? Stop it? It seems like maybe this is a hostage type of situation where one wouldn't necessarily get much say. Shut Shut up, up, you little bitch. bitch. Hey, fucking bitch. Cunt, whore, dumb, ugly, stupid, fat, invisible fucking bitch. Ouch! But... That's, that's not entirely, that's not accurate, not, that's not necessary. You've taken everything from me. You don't have to call me names. Are you for real? Am I for real? That's a very good question. I'm not sure. That's the first intelligent thing you've said. Can I ask something? If you ask if I am God, I'm going to scream. (laughs) I wasn't going to ask that. You definitely don't seem like the kind of God I would believe in, or the kind that people would even talk about. That is. It seems to me that God wouldn't go around randomly inflicting torture on people. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be funny. really something. I hear three hearts. Three hearts. I hear them. I I need need your your tongue. tongue. Thank Thank you. you. What? Why? What the fuck are you doing to me? Your spine is a harp. Pluck, pluck, pluck. Your arm is a wire. Your tongue is a liar. Your heart is desire. Your spine is a harp. Pluck, 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 buttercup. There is no change without pain. Then... I am the fucking change you want to see in the world, then. Holy caramba, that hurts like a... Are you scared? Yes. You should be. Will I get to see my mom again? Are you there? Always. Can I ask you something? Shoot. Are you my mom? You feel just like her, inside. Oh, for God's God's sake, Lydia. She runs up behind a tree. She feels like vomiting. The phone buzzes in her hand. She could just decline the call. I will decline the call. I won't answer. It's been months since she talked to her mother, and I know she and Lydia still speak, and it makes no sense that she's calling me because she knows I don't want to talk to her. But it's always like this, isn't it? When you're at your worst, and you don't want to even exist in your own body anymore, and you trade it all for just an hour-long massage that didn't have to end in somebody's hands sneaking up around to your tits, when that's where you're at, your mother calls. 
I'm bitter. I'm so bitter. She is bitter. She knows she's bitter. How did it happen? She had years of therapy. I had years of therapy. Why is it a sin to be bitter? Why can't women be angry? The phone stops ringing in her hands. Thank God. But Nora Lee will leave a voicemail by God. Lucinda hates voicemail now, now that she understands that nobody listens to voicemail anymore. Thank you, Lydia, little Miss Priss, for clarifying that all those times she'd called and left a little message, good luck, honey, we're pulling for you, before the ELA test, or meet us on 9th Street by the train station and we'll have Uncle Louis G's to celebrate. She'd been acting like a total nard. Whatever the hell that was. Lydia language. She was never this strange and secretive when she was 15. She was ungrateful at points, sure. Well, no, she wasn't. I wasn't. I loved my family when I was small, my parents. Until they failed me, I loved them. She tried to be good, to win love. She tried to stay close to her own mother, to protect her, to be protected. She barks. God damn it. The sun has come out, but oddly, it's colder. Geese honk in the sky as Lucinda barks. She is behind the tree looking down at the drive. Matt is looking up in her direction, scanning the trees for signs of life, of her, no doubt, having heard her barking up here, while Lizzie is calmly explaining to an EMT that the crazy woman who randomly fell down on the ground while jogging has gone insane and fled the scene. She's probably talking in that unromantic yet kind and straightforward way of hers while the EMTs marvel at the efficiency and perfection of her genes. Perfectly symmetrical almond eyes, perfectly slightly upturned, thin nose, not a hair out of place, glow intact, has her shit effortlessly together, gorgeous husband, two beautiful kids. When did she start boiling down success as a human this way? When hadn't she? She disgusts herself. No wonder Mitch is in China. No wonder her own daughter prefers the company of that rough little creature, Marva, that she cannot easily define or understand. Her phone starts buzzing again. She takes in a breath. She looks down at it. It's her mother again. Of course it's my mother. Oh, for God's sake, Lydia, she thinks. Catches herself. Oh, for God's sake, mother. Nora Lee, it's Nora Lee. For God's sake, Mom. Bzz, bzz, bzz. Answer it. Get it over with. She answers. Hello? Lucy? Her mother says, calling her by her little girl name, though she's currently 46 years old and miscarrying her very last IVF attempt with Mitch out of the country, gone, with him gone. Lucy, are you all right? comes Norley's halting, limp little voice through the phone. <laughs> Lucy, are you all right? What kind of question is that? No, no, she's not all right. No, actually, am I all... <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> she holds the phone away from her, swings around wildly in circles. She looks down and sees Matt looking directly at her. She ducks behind the tree again, awkwardly shuffles further up the hill, through the leaves, the treads of her shoes digging deeply into the soggy earth. Lord have mercy, she should just hang up. 
But the absurdity of the question compels her to interrogate her mother's motives further. And also there's the sound of her mother's voice. Hello? She hears from far away, from wherever Noralee is transmitting from. Yes. Yes. No. Oh, God. Now she's sort of howling. Get a grip. Get your shit under control. I have to get control. It's... It's, 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 it's uh, 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 a little chilly out here, she says. She sits down on a root and looks at her feet. Her feet are a sodden mess. I was, I was just trying to get a hold of Lydia, actually. Oh. Oh. Oh, of course. Well, I... She fake sneezes to cover the bark. If, 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 if you try her cell phone, I've been trying and it just goes to voicemail. Why a 15-year-old has her own telephone is beyond... She stands. She cannot... This is so typical, so typical. She's expected to do something. Why is it her job to make Lydia answer her telephone? To account for her whereabouts, to make her available, to have a relationship with her grandparents, her parents, my parents, the parents who disinherited me a decade back, but who'd like a relationship with their sole grandchild, my child, rather than me, their child, who reminds them of how they failed. Maybe, maybe she doesn't want to talk to you right now, she says, attempting not to bark, to sound less like a bitch and more a sharer of actual facts or possibilities. I've been trying for quite a while, Noralee says softly. Well, what the fuck does she expect Lucinda to do about it? Are... Uh, uh, are you are, are are you able to just text her or or post on her Instagram or something? Lucinda grinds out though she is tempted to bury the phone deep in the mud and go get a drink somewhere on the opposite side of the park. How do you Instagram? Noralee says. And she can't. She just can't. She puts the phone down and holds her head. Lucinda? Lucy? Are you there? She hears. From next to her feet, her eyes resting now on the name on the screen. Mother. The seconds ticking by. She growls. Shit. Now she's growling. Then she hears her mother say, exasperated, I just want to talk to my granddaughter, Lydia, that's all. Lucinda runs her hands through her hair, kicks the phone with her toe, sends it flying. 
She stands and kicks the log. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, 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 are you fucking kidding me? Mocking her mother's southern puling speech. All I want to do is talk to my granddaughter, Lydia. Mom? Mom, is that you? Lydia's voice says, from somewhere. Lydia, I'm on the phone, I'm... But she's not on the phone, she's standing in the forest, kicking logs. And more importantly, Lydia is nowhere near here. She's somewhere else, hating Lucinda's guts. Lucinda turns and looks at her phone. 10 paces away now, and it still says mother, and her mother's phone number, and the seconds are still ticking by. Get it together. Hold the leash, get a grip. She walks over, picks it up and hangs up, unceremoniously, on Nora Lee. She begins hoofing it down the opposite side of the hill. She hears a car start up, the ambulance, she knows, and hears Lizzie's, thanks guys, from down below, somewhere on the drive, behind the trees where she cannot see. Fucking bitch, fucking perfect bitch, she says. Mom, mom, I can hear you, mom. She stops. She looks again at her phone. The screen is black. She holds it to her ear just to be sure. Mom! Help me! Mom! Holy shitballs, she thinks.